Dark Secrets. Hey there, I'm Amy Smith. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, a podcast that shines a light in some really dark places. And today's episode is the first in a series about the 1976 disappearance of Andy Puglisi. It's a sad story. Angelo, who was called Andy by his friends and family, was a 10-year-old boy. And as we mentioned, in 1976, Andy disappeared from Higgins Memorial Pool in Lawrence, Massachusetts. There is a reason to believe that Andy is the victim of a serial predator who was responsible for the sexual assault of dozens upon dozens of young boys. And it's also important to note that there was a child sex trafficking ring present in Massachusetts during this time. Andy disappeared on August 21st, 1976 from Lawrence, Massachusetts, and it was one of the poorest cities in the United States at the time. But it did have one nice feature, and that was the Higgins Memorial Pool that was literally just 100 yards away from the housing projects. As you can imagine, it was a huge draw for the kids because everyone could swim for just 25 cents each all day long. The pool, however, didn't just attract families and young kids. According to the Lawrence Police Department, it also attracted five known pedophiles, and they were all there the day that Andy disappeared. Andy was described as a sweet, kind, smart, fun-loving little boy. His close friend, nine-year-old Melanie Perkins, and her older brother were at the pool that day. Melanie is now a filmmaker, and she produced a documentary about her missing friend. The film, entitled Have You Seen Andy?, is a chilling account of what happened that day and her lifelong search for answers. We have reached out to Melanie and have invited her on the show. We'll keep you updated if and when that interview takes place. We are very hopeful that we get to talk to Melanie in depth to discuss what she knows about NAMBLA, child sex trafficking, and Andy's case. I'm super excited about the potential of interviewing her. She's going to be a wealth of information. Oh my gosh, that would be so amazing. It really will. And I would very much encourage people that have not seen, have you seen Andy, to look it up. I believe it was originally like an HBO documentary. It's very well done. It's great. I mean, I'm super impressed with it. So diving back into the case, on the day that Andy disappeared, it was around 6 p.m. when Melanie asked Andy to walk her home. And what you'll find out if you watch the documentary is that Melanie had a little bit of a crush on Andy, too. And that's part of the what's the storyline in the documentary. I think it's very sweet. But Andy was not finished swimming. He was still wanting to have fun. So he made the decision to stay at the pool instead of walking his friend home. So Melanie, as any little girl would, a little bit hurt, took off walking until eventually her older brother caught up with her and he walked her the rest of the way home. When the two children left, Andy continued to have fun with the other neighborhood children, and he was last seen by a lifeguard at approximately 5.45 p.m., and sadly, this would be the last time anybody would see Andy. And an important part of this story actually starts a year earlier, in August of 1975. Two young boys, ages 10 and 11, 
who had been at the same pool where Andy was last seen. They were approached by a man named Wayne W. Chapman. Chapman asked the boys for their help with finding his lost poodle in the nearby woods. The two boys followed, and once that they were in the woods, Chapman attacked and sodomized both of the boys. The boys would later report that they had heard a clicking noise in the proximity, most likely that from a camera, as well as leaves crackling and sticks breaking, the kind of sound that would happen if somebody else was out in the woods. The boys escaped with their lives, but authorities believe other men were in the woods that day. And it's also believed that those men had every intention of trafficking these sweet boys for sex. Unfortunately, police were unable to solve the crime at the time, and nobody ever warned the families of the neighborhood children of the presence of a sex offender. So fast forward to one month after Andy's disappearance. Wayne W. Chapman was arrested for a firearms violation in New York after a routine traffic stop. His vehicle was searched, and police discovered the unthinkable. First, out in the open on his dashboard, Chapman had Polaroid photos of underage boys posing nude. Mm. So, of course, this spurred police to look further. And when they did, they also found child pornography, rope, tape, handcuffs, camera equipment, a fake police badge, and a starter's pistol. That's like a um, starter kit for a pedophile. It is. It makes me sick to my stomach. And it wasn't until Chapman's arrest that the two Lawrence boys that you mentioned earlier were able to see his mugshot and they identified him as the rapist. And a frightening fact about this story is that shortly before Andy's disappearance, he returned home with a few Polaroid photos that had been taken of him and given to him by an unidentified man. His mother took the Polaroids from him and told Andy that he should never let anyone he doesn't know take his photo. So it's possible that the man he spoke to could have been Chapman. But with the amount of child predators in the area at that time, it could have been anyone. And, you know, I, th- I think of this as a cautionary tale because it's got all of the elements of everything that we've talked about, right? You've got these predators. They're obviously organized. There's quite a few of them. They're targeting children in the housing project. So these are vulnerable, poor kids. Most of them are living with their single moms. So the, they're not being watched as as tightly as as you would if you had two parents on the scene. Right. You've got moms that are working probably more than one job to be able to make ends meet. And these pedophiles were very organized. And we'll go into this in more detail in other episodes. But, you know, if you go back and you think back to other episodes where we talked about John David Norman and how organized he was with his index cards. Um, right. That is what was happening in this situation, except it was Polaroid photos and there was information being written on those photos as a description as these pictures were being shared with other pedophiles on where to find these children. I mean, it's a frightening story. Oh, yeah. And how sad that you can't go to the neighborhood pool and have kid fun with other kids without having to be worried about these creeps. 
Well, and plus this was the 70s. People really exactly. didn't know what pedophilia was at the time. Mm-mm. I mean, this was all beyond their scope of reasoning and thought. Nobody would ever consider that this was a possibility. It was just a completely different time in the 70s. Right. And so that's what made these kids even more vulnerable to this type, you know, this type of a crime. And so I think it makes this story even more horrific. So diving back in, after that traffic stop and arrest for firearms, Chapman was detained and he was interrogated by police from several states. He started looking at multiple charges, including sexual battery upon a minor and murder. Okay. He was looked at for murder because as it turns out, he had done all sorts of horrible things, including sodomizing several children in a 4-H club in Providence, Rhode Island. This Chapman guy, he was bad, bad news. And I know we're going to touch on Chapman a little bit more in this episode, but for our listeners who are interested in the documentary, Have You Seen Andy? That is a deep dive into Chapman and it will make your hair stand up. It is the most frightening thing. This guy was an absolute monster. Oh, and I mean, the access he had to kids was just is incredible. It, it really was. Well, Chapman was also charged for the murder of six-year-old David Lewison, who had been missing from Brockton, Massachusetts, since 1974. So based on a confession from Chapman, police searched the Brockton area for David's remains. However, they never found them. So Chapman went to trial, and he was ultimately found guilty for the rape of the two Lawrence boys. The court sentenced Chapman to two concurrent 15 to 30 year sentences. He was not, however, convicted for the murder charge of David Lewison due to lack of evidence. That's sad. Oh, yeah. Years later, in June of 1980, another person of interest in Andy's disappearance, Charles Pierce, pleaded guilty to the second degree murder of a 13 year old girl named Michelle Wilson. Pierce told investigators he was also responsible for 15 to 20 murders dating back to 1954. In 1988, the Lawrence police captain received a letter from a state trooper involved with Pierce. In it, the letter stated that Pierce also confessed to the murder of a Lawrence boy. I'm wondering, could this have been the murder of Andy? Well, you know, I'd like to say, oh gosh, yeah, probably so, but... There were so many instances happening at that time. Oh, absolutely. And we will touch on this in other episodes, too. So I don't want to give too much of a spoiler. But like we've seen through this entire season, a lot of these guys, these pedophile bastards, they're working together. And you better believe that's what was happening in Massachusetts. So listeners, buckle up because... Over the next episodes that we cover about this case, it's going to blow your mind. But yeah, I believe that he could have been talking about the murder of Andy. Maybe he was involved. Maybe he was one of the men in the woods with the two Lawrence boys. Mm, That's just, it's so sad that you can't just automatically say yes, because there's so many other children and so many other pedophiles. But Police did continue to put some pressure on Wayne Chapman about Andy's disappearance, and he continuously denied any involvement in Andy's disappearance. In fact, Chapman claimed he had never 
even been to Lawrence before, which was a total lie. Remember, Chapman was convicted of the rape of two Lawrence boys in 1975. Yeah, his pants were on fire. I mean, Mm -hmm. liar, liar. And I always felt like he lied about that because he was trying to steer the investigation away from him. Exactly. Because he knew that he had been in Lawrence. He's not stupid. I mean, I believe he was combing those projects, those housing projects, like the pedophile bastard he was. I mean, I'm sorry to 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 curse, but it's the truth. The guy was just evil. Evil, evil, evil. And he, you know, and he wasn't he wasn't alone, you know. He didn't have a poodle as a companion, but he had some other sickos that were hanging out with him. Well, he did. And I'm going to tell you something next that's going to make your skin crawl. When police uncovered one of Chapman's personal videotapes, he has heard, and I've heard this tape, okay? I've heard it because of the Have You Seen Andy documentary. And the first time I heard it, I literally had to go to the bathroom and throw up because it was so disturbing. So police find this personal videotape and Chapman is heard narrating his fantasies as he's stalking this school bus, okay? He's making sexually obscene comments about what he would like to do to the children as they come off that bus. And if I sound emotional, it is genuine. It is so upsetting to me because it was the creepiest thing I have ever heard in my life. This guy was so sick. And not only that, but Chapman also had a large collection of videotapes, which should scare everybody because it was of children playing and interacting with other children in public parks and playgrounds. So he was going to these public places and just videotaping kids for his own sexual gratification. He also admitted that his most common ruse to lure children was to offer them money, and usually he would offer them anywhere between 2 and $5 to help him find his lost puppy. He should never own a puppy, ever. I would have given Chapman the 2 two to $5. I would like to have lured him into the woods. <laughs> yeah, I would have been there clicking the clicking the camera and breaking the sticks. So, Oh, just, it's, it's terrible. And, you know, this was the 70s. Again, we... we touch on this so many times this was before the internet do you know how much more scary it is to think about how organized pedophiles are and how organized sex trafficking of children is now oh beyond frightening it's disturbing if yeah if chapman had had his uh pedophile empire now it, it would be unimaginable what he could have done. It's terrible, yeah. Well, in Andy's case, when presented with photos of Chapman, a lifeguard said that the day of Andy's disappearance, Chapman was indeed in the area. And she recognized him because he had the strangest eyes she's ever seen. Okay, can I say something here? Because when I read this and the research too, you know, I automatically thought of Gary Hilton, who was the National Forest serial killer. Oh, yeah. His eyes are creepy. Mm-hmm. So windows to the soul and his soul was dark. It is. So listeners, go and quickly Google Wayne Chapman and Gary Hilton. And if that doesn't freak you out, nothing will. Because their eyes, 
they're evil. It shows nothing but evil. It's the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. But I will let you carry on, Amy. Oh, that's just, yeah. No, and I'm telling you, I'm an eye person. And you can tell a lot of a person by their eyes. Absolutely. Go look up some mug shots for a little teaser there, too. Well, she also said that Chapman had returned to the pool the next day, and he was questioning why people were searching the area. A mother of two young daughters reported that her daughters saw a man that fit Chapman's description following Andy into the boys' locker room and out of the pool. Another man by the name of P.J. Timmons reported that on the day of Andy's disappearance, a man asked if he would help him look for his dog, but he told him no. P.J. said that when he said no, the man went on to ask several other children if they would help him. Several children were witnesses that day, but police either didn't believe them or they didn't question them. And that is so tragic. That is tragic. That is. But again, it was the 70s. Right. Totally different time. So, but the story, I think, gets even more tragic. And I've seen an interview with this guy. His name is Ray Clark. And it's so sad how upset he is about the story that he tells. But he claims that when he was four years old, he was with Andy and that they were both abducted by Chapman together at the pool that day. Chapman had allegedly asked several kids to help him find his lost puppy. You know, that jives with what the other kids are saying. Exactly. So when Andy and Ray agreed to assist in the search, they followed him into the woods. I mean, he lured them into the woods. And when they got there, Andy saw two men hiding by the bushes. He became very alarmed and scared. He knew something was very wrong. And he screamed at the four-year-old Ray. He said, run away, go, hurry, get out of here. According to Ray, as Andy was running behind him, he was trying to get away too. He kept pushing the little boy so that he could run further and further ahead. Andy's only concern was getting that little four-year-old out of the woods. When Ray was far enough away, he says he stopped and turned around from up the hill. And he saw that Andy had already been grabbed by two men and he was being pinned down on a large rock. Ray was so traumatized by the ordeal that it took him six years to tell police what he saw that day. In 1992, a newspaper article mentions that Lawrence Police Department had a hypnotist. I believe it was Michael Carelli. I think that's who hypnotized Ray. And according to the hypnotist, he said, there's no doubt in my mind that this kid spoke to Chapman that day he described him to a T, including the scar over his eye. Oh, wow. So, and it's it's not like Ray came forward as an adult. I mean, it was, right. you know, six years later, he finally had the courage. But I believe that if Andy died that day, whatever happened, he was a hero. Oh, absolutely. Because he was worried about that four-year-old. And this parallels the other two Lawrence boys that were sodomized. I mean, exact. I think, I think so. And I think in my mind, I think there's a great possibility that those boys were lured into the woods for more than just sodomy. I think it was for sex trafficking, uh, you know, all of the above. And 
I don't know what happened to Andy that day. I hope that someday we do find out, but I think it's tragic. And I think that Ray was very brave to be able to come forward and tell his story. Yeah. And Andy was a hero. He was. Well, there's another suspect in Andy's case and it included a man that I know that you, LaDonna, are very familiar with. His name? Nathaniel Barjona. Ah, Barjona. Ring a bell? A little. <laughs> Barjona was later arrested in Montana for the disappearance of 10-year-old Zachary Ramsey. Barjona, however, was originally from Massachusetts, and he was known as a sexual predator. He had previously been held at the Massachusetts Treatment Center for the rape of several children in the Bridgewater area. In a frightening turn of events, fragments from a child's bones were found in Barjona's garage, along with a list of several boys from a camp in Webster, Massachusetts. Barjona bragged to the authorities that he had hunted Zachary and cannibalized several children along with other grisly claims. There is no solid evidence, however, to tie Barjona to Andy's disappearance. Well, since you mentioned Barjona, right? Dun, dun, dun. I got to give a little fun fact here. Okay. That I spent several years investigating Barjona for a completely different reason. And I will not spoil that here because that is another episode yet to come. But Barjona actually lived in Fort Smith, Arkansas, briefly in 1995. And he had met this woman and they'd been pen pals. And he continued to write to her because she had small children. So he pretended to woo her and was able to move in with her in Fort Smith. And this is really important because in 1995, as you know, we have one of the biggest unsolved kidnappings that the state and the nation has ever seen. And that was of six-year-old Morgan Nick. Coincidence? I don't know, but that's coming up in another episode. And I just want to say real quick, what is up with Massachusetts? I don't know, but we've got some buddies that are other podcasters who will remain anonymous. I won't say their names, but I think I'm going to text them after this and say, hey, what's up with Massachusetts? Because that's where they live. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to take that off my bucket list, I think. Boys, you got some explaining to do. Yeah. Oh, Lucy. So back to the story. Sadly, there are several boys between the ages of four and 13 who went missing in Massachusetts during the 1970s. And there is substantial reason to believe that these kiddos were abducted by a child sex trafficking ring that was active during this period. We'll continue to investigate Andy's case and others like his from the early 70s as we fight to expose human trafficking. These stories are so tragic, but they are so important to tell because our goal is to remember and honor these victims while also exposing the realities of trafficking. And we do that so we can educate you, our listeners, so you can keep yourself and your loved ones safe. So we hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, stay safe and keep your lights on.
For exclusive content from this episode and other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash deepdarksecrets. Sign up and you will receive Deep Dark Secrets merchandise, extra episodes, and much more. For more information about our podcast, visit deepdarksecretspodcast.com. Thank you.